You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Last week we talked about missions. Why we send people out from here. Why we go. Why do we start churches? Why do we do ministry trips and mission trips? Why? And we looked at this bottom line in Scripture that all things for His name's sake among all peoples, both and, both here and there. That's why God blesses. That's why we've been redeemed for His name's sake among all peoples. And this bottom line is why are we missional? Why do we do missions? Why do we start churches? Why is our ministry ever go out from here? I'm out from among us. It's for his namesake. The reason why that's important is to get the why right. Is if we go for any other reason alone, if we say we're going for souls, or we're going so that we can see some things, we can see him at work. We want to go so we can see fruit. We want to go Myriad of reasons you make the list. And if it's the only reason we go and we're not going for his name's sake among all peoples, what do you do when somebody gets hurt? What do you do when you go and you spend weeks, days, maybe years in a place and you see no conversion? What do you do with that? If that's the reason you went and you don't see that happening... You go home and you quit, most likely. I would. What happens when somebody from our body is hurt? What happens when somebody dies on the field in the far corner or down the street on mission? If it's for his namesake among all peoples, when things don't go our way, you know what our cry is? Our cry is your glory. It's not, how could you let this happen? That's not our cry. How could you let this happen, God? We don't understand. We were on mission, and we had goals, and we had schemes, and none of it came to pass. What, what happened? Are you sleeping? And we trust the sovereign God, and we go for his namesake among all people so that no matter what happens... If we're spent, if we're gone, if we're removed, it was for his namesake among all peoples. That's why the why is important. That's why we do missions. That's why we are missional, for his namesake and among all peoples. Today, we're going to look at the how. How do we do missions? And this is important because I think maybe that we have called a few things missions that aren't missions. And then we've been doing some things and operating and been obedient in some things that we haven't called missions, and it is. I'm very hesitant today because um, I'm hoping and thinking that maybe for some of you we'll be redefining. And anytime you redefine anything, uh, that means change. And change is difficult. And to readjust thinking about something, especially when it comes to our faith, I hope that you will hear the word today. I hope the word will redefine for you missions, maybe. And the word would redefine ministry. And that this, was not, this would not be Brad's opinion. And that you would consider 
This is my hope, what the Word shows us, the design that the Word has for missions and for ministry. Because remember Ned, left to ourselves, without the Word as our guide, remember the FedEx commercial? Ned, you are always wrong. And we will always be wrong. We will always get missions wrong. We will always get ministry wrong if we don't know why and we don't know how. And we take that and we get that from the Word. So we're going to look today at the how. What is missions? Here's the scope. Remember today is scope. It's, it's still big picture, scope. How do you do missions? What is missions? And missions equals planting the church where it is weak and where it doesn't exist or where it doesn't exist. Missions is planting churches where there is no church or where it is weak. That's missions. And we're going to look at Scripture to see how we get there. The hope for this world is that Christ would, be, would establish his kingdom among all peoples, and that is done invisibly in the hearts of men and visibly in the church. Let me say that again. The hope for this world is that Jesus would establish himself among all peoples, and he does that invisibly in the hearts of men and visibly in the church. So the hope for this world is not more ministry not connected to the church. The hope for this world is that the church would be established because that's where Jesus is and that's where his ministry comes from. The hope for this world is not ministry alone. It's the church because that's where the ministry comes from. And if we're not planning the church, we're not doing much for ministry. And we'll see that. You may be thinking, why are you reserving missions for church planning only? Look at Romans chapter 15. This is where we're going to look first. I've got three reasons why we're seeing and the new word, the new definition for missions for us is becoming church planting, starting the church where it's weak and non-existent. Why? Number one, it was the ambition of the missionary, Paul. It was the ambition of the missionary, Paul. He's the great, he's the great example for missions and the missionary. And if we're going to move forward in missions at all, we have to consider how Paul did it, what he thought, how he moved, what he considered. So look at Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Here it is. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. That's how we do missions. We go where the church isn't. That's the ambition of Paul, that those who have never been told will see... <clears throat> And those who have never heard will understand. That's the heart of the missionary, and that's the heart of missions. Now look back at verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that, there's our Hena clause that Ben has taught us, 
so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. I hope you're asking yourself, how can he say that? How can Paul say, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum? We're not talking about Greenville all the way around to Quinlan. This is bigger than that. This is not just two cities side by side. And you're thinking, well, he he must have been able to share the gospel with every individual. He must have done that. That must be what he's talking about. Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum is through several nations, through many nations separate those two places, many regions. That's a long way. I don't have a map, but you look at it. All the way around to Illyricum. That's Middle East up into parts of what's seeming, maybe people may call Southeastern Europe or Asia. That's a long way. How can he say that? He can say that the gospel and his ministry was fulfilled because he had started churches in those regions. There was a church established there. For him, the mission, over. Work, done. Look at verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped in my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Why would he go to Spain? Because there were no churches. My ministry is done. The mission is complete from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum. The missionary says, done, fulfilled. Churches are there. Jesus has been established. I'm going to Spain where there are no churches. That's the missionary. That's missions. So Paul makes it his ambition And we have made it our ambition that missions will be planting, starting, raising up the church where it is weak and where it is non-existent. One of the things that would be very helpful right now is for me to say and explain to you, okay, what's the church? That would be very defining. And I'm not going to take the time to go through that. In a couple of weeks, Ben is going to preach a message on what is the church, which I think will be very helpful And go very well with these last two Sundays. As he will look more deeply into what is the church. But I want to give you a snapshot just quickly. Here's a snapshot of what the church is. Well, what are we talking about? What is Paul doing? What is he planting? What is he starting? Is it a few converts having coffee and we're calling that church? Is it two people who say they believe but yet only meet once a quarter to talk about what they think? Is that church who profess Christ but don't walk together? Is that church? What is the church? Well, it's families of ga- that gather. Families, families of faith that gather together. They assemble for worship and preaching. It's ordinances. It's the sharing of the Lord's Supper and baptism. It's worship, fellowship. It's elders preaching, teaching about Jesus, continually proclaiming the gospel to the people. It's deacons serving, discipline and accountability with one another. It's preaching the gospel consistently, 
and the church is ministry. It's ministry that flows from the church. That's, that's a snapshot of what we're talking about, the church. Turn to Acts 14. Turn back to Acts 14, verse 19. I was tempted to read Acts 13 through 15 this morning, and I know Ben has been crazy enough to try that before, and I'm not that crazy, so I want to give you a snapshot of what 13 to 15 is. Thirteen to fifteen, Acts thirteen to fifteen gives us a picture of the establishment of the church, of the specifics that are involved. It wasn't just Paul going and preaching. Okay? It's not him preaching, he gets some converts, and then he's out and he leaves and goes back home. Or he goes on to the next city. That's not church planting, just going to preach the gospel, share faith, and leave. That's not the model we see in Acts 13 through 15. Here, I just made a short list. Listen to the list of things that Paul does that are associated with church planning. What we see in Acts chapter 13 through 15. We see appointing of elders and deacons and teachers and prophets. We see a gathering, an assembly, teaching. We see large group prayer sessions. Small group prayer sessions. Fasting. Sending people. Traveling. Both long-term and short-term. We see John and Silas go for a little while with Paul and Barnabas, and then we see them go back home. They go to help for a little while, and they go back home. Then we see some people go and stay. We see small group discussion and debate and arguing. We see large crowds and small groups, disagreement in the same faith, proclamation of the gospel, a council of elders overseeing all of it, some receiving the faith, many rejecting. Some receiving and many rejecting. We see joy in the context of difficulty and danger. You see all those things and more, Acts 13 to 15. You see the church being established. Now look a little closer at Acts 14, verse 19. Right here in the middle. I want you to climb into this story here. Paul has been at Lystra or Lystra, however you say that. He is, he's been in this city, and he's been stoned, and there are new converts looking at him wide-eyed, going, you're calling us to something, and you've got a black eye. There's blood coming out of your ear, and you're saying, come do this with you? And yet these people stay. They're with him. Verse 19, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Okay, these Jews came from cities where Paul had already been to plant churches, and they chased him down. They chase him down and catch him in the next city. He's about to go into Derby. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and he had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul has <clears throat> gone out shared the gospel, started a church, got converts where there were none before, and then he goes back through to establish it. Do you see the pattern? He goes out, preaching the gospel, sharing the faith, 
converts, then he goes back through to strengthen and set it up. And he does that by appointing elders. And then there's so many things that flow from that. He's giving the church viable leadership. That's church planning. He's giving it viable leadership. He's appointing with the people somebody to lead because he's leaving. Why? Because he's a missionary. And there's Spain. And he's got to go because there's no church there. Now, in Iconium, Lystra, there's a church. And he doesn't leave it. He establishes it. Do you see the work? Can you imagine the work that's happening? Verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. See, he's going back where there were converts. And how can he say that the work is fulfilled? Because for the missionary, when there are converts and the church is being established, done. Fulfilled. God's people are there. Jesus is there. Christ's body is there. Work fulfilled. You see it again. And when they had arrived and they gathered who? Who did they gather together? The church. They gathered them together. You see assembly and gathering. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Verse 28 is key. And they remained no little time with the disciples. The New American Standard says it even simpler. They stayed with the disciples a long time. They stayed there a long time. Church planting is not fly by the seat of your pants. Church planting is not get in and get out and nobody gets hurt. Church planting is going for the long haul. And to establish the viable leadership, you stay until that viable leadership is there. And you pray and you fast and you debate and you gather and you discuss and you preach and you proclaim until the Holy Spirit raises up that leadership and you stay. It's long haul. They stayed a long time. He was, I can imagine and assume, he stayed until it was viable. That's the, that's the design and the impression that we get. He stayed until it was strengthened. He stayed until it was viable so that he can go to Spain or he can go elsewhere. Do you see it? We need, we need to understand that church planning is not fly and fly out. Nobody gets hurt. So how do you know when the work has been fulfilled in a region or in a city or in a county? How do you know? There's a Christ-exalting, word-preaching church there and a body that is ministering to each other and to the community. And they're preaching a sovereign God and a full gospel and a rich gospel. That's how you know that the work is fulfilled for a city or a region or a country or a nation or a people. That's how we know the mission is complete when there are viable, existing churches. <clears throat> I think we should be leery. Based on verse 28, he spent no little time with the disciples. I think we should be leery of something, especially because we're American. And we should be leery of the temptation to make church planning easy. We should be leery of the temptation to make it safe. We should be leery of the temptation to make it fast. Because that's what we do. As Americans, we are good at making things easy, safe, and fast. That's our culture. And it's invaded our churches. It's invaded the church culture, the Christian culture in America. 
make it safe, fast, and easy. And that's not what we see in Scripture. Paul was stoned at Lystra. And he turns to guys with a bloody face and says, Okay, if you, if you, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> if you guys are going to follow me, this is what it's going to mean. You enter this through tribulation. And that's the gospel that's preached. It's not watered down. It's not safe, easy, and fast. We co-labor with the Holy Spirit, and so many times we try to get ahead of him. What we're left with at this point is a question. So if, if missions for us is church planning where the church is weak or non-existent, and we have missionaries on the field doing that where it's obviously weak and non-existent, and if the bottom line is his namesake among all peoples, and it's both and, because Acts 1.8 tells us, both and, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and uttermost parts of the earth. If it's both and, are there weak and non-existent areas here? Are there regions and cities and communities here where the church is weak or non-existent? And the answer to that question is a minefield that I'm not going to answer because I'm going to leave it to Ben when he preaches on the church. I say that jokingly, but it will be good for us to hear. When we talk about what the church is in a few weeks, that's when we'll answer that question. That's when that question should come clear. Are there weak and non-existent churches here? Sadly, the short answer, yes. Is the gospel and the church weak here? Is it non-existent in some areas? I believe it is. And so we plant churches there. And that's our mission. Turn to Acts 22. Second reason why or how missions is church planning. Acts chapter 22, verse 3. <clears throat> Paul is explaining what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And I want us to see something here. He's telling the story of what happened at his conversion. The second reason on how is that when we plant churches, we establish Jesus' body on this earth. You've heard me mention it already today. This is how that happens. This, this shows us why that's true. That when we start a church, we, we, we establish Jesus in that place. His body is there. The body of Christ gets established when we start a church in a city by the work of the Holy Spirit and His grace. Look at verse 3 of chapter 22. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bringing them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, was, was Paul physically beating Jesus? Was Jesus' physical incarnate body before him as he beat him and persecuted him? No, he was persecuting the way. He was persecuting the church. And Jesus says, you're persecuting me. <clears throat> and so if Paul is persecuting the church, and Jesus says, when you persecute the church, you persecute me, it makes sense that when we establish the church in a city, we establish Jesus. So what does that mean? It means when the church is established geographically, Jesus is there. His invisible kingdom and the hearts of men, visible in the people that gather and discuss and debate and preach and teach and minister. Jesus is there. And so, before we buy any plane tickets and we make plans for missions or we gather supplies and we go anywhere, we must know that this is our mission to establish the church where it is weak or non-existent. And we've got to ask ourselves, how are our efforts, the money we spend, the plane tickets we buy, how is that establishing Jesus in that area? How is it establishing the church in that area where it's absent or where it's weak? Because if we go and that's not our goal, and that's not our focus, and that's not our scope, and the why is not for his namesake among all peoples, then we will get it wrong. Ned, you are always wrong. Cross point, you are always wrong, apart from Scripture and the Holy Spirit. You always get it wrong. And this is the how. And we can't get this wrong. Because if we do, we lose track of our mission, and we call missions what is not, and the next thing you know, you look back, and you've done no mission. And you've engaged no mission. And we're very good at calling things that we do mission because we want to check off a spiritual resume. Or we want to out-mission the next church. We're good at that too. The third reason why church planning is the how of missions is that the mystery of the gospel is revealed through the church. The mystery of the gospel is revealed through the church. Turn to Ephesians 3, verse 8. Still looking at Paul, the missionary. Still looking at the missionary, the first, the ultimate dude who exemplifies what missions is and what missionary is. This is what he says in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. To me, though I am very least of all to the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What is the mystery? This God, <coughs> excuse me, this God who was for Israel, this God who gathered Israel and chose Israel, the promises, the blessings, the protection, the love, the leadership is now for all nations and all peoples who believe and have faith in him. That's the mystery. 
The mystery is, this, in this Bible, there's this God who chooses Israel, and now it's for all people through Christ. It's for all nations and all peoples through Christ. That's the mystery. And that is revealed through the church. Verse 10. That's the mystery. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. The mystery is revealed. How? Through the church. (coughs) If we take off on ministry or the gospel with no mission to establish the church where it isn't, excuse me, If we take off on ministry without the gospel and without the mission to establish the church where it isn't, we may have performed great deeds, but we have left them without Jesus' body. Thank you. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. If we leave a place that we go and we've left no church if we go on mission and the goal is not to leave a church and we do not work to establish elders in that place and deacons and we don't leave an established church we've not left Jesus we've left nothing viable but good deeds don't hear me say that God needs us But we've missed our mark and our goal for the mystery to be revealed to all peoples if we do not establish the body of Christ where it isn't. Last thing. Ministry flows from the church. Ministry flows from the church. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, I've done some things. I've been on trips where we didn't necessarily do what you're talking about. The goal was not to start a church. The goal was maybe just to share our faith or the goal was to build a building or the goal was social justice to feed the poor. Maybe you've done that here in another city or maybe you've done that on another side of the world. And that's ministry. And it's good. And it's what the church does. Ministry is what we do. Ministry flows from us. I want you to see something. The Spirit descends twice. We see the Spirit descend on Jesus at his baptism, Matthew chapter 3. We see the Spirit descend on Jesus before his ministry. And then we see the Spirit descend where? On the church to do the ministry of Jesus after the ascension. Do you see that? We've been given this Spirit to be the ministry of Jesus, the church. So if we go to a place and we minister and we leave, if we build homes and feed poor, and yet we leave no church there, then we've not left them anything viable. And then they're dependent upon us to come back and do more ministry. Do you see that? And so missions is start a church there to be Jesus there. 
because the, the Spirit has descended on the church. And that's the hope of the world. <clears throat> Our mission is to establish the church where it's weak and non-existent so that Jesus' ministry will flow from those people for his namesake among all peoples. I want to say something here too. Missions, starting and establishing the church where it's weak and non-existent, and ministry, all the things that flow from that church. Ministry is bottom line just like missions is bottom line. Ministry is for his namesake among all peoples. Just like missions has got to be bottom line. For his namesake among all peoples. And ministry, just like missions, is both and. We do missions here. We do missions there. Our mission is to both here and there establish the church where it is weak and non-existent. Our ministry is social justice, discipline, feed the poor, teach, preach, build, care for, be Jesus' ministry to people here, and we do ministry there on the other side of the planet. It's bottom line. It's both and. Here's why. It doesn't make sense for us to build a new worship center. Well, let me back up. If we ever build a new worship center... <laughs> It would not make sense for us to do that and not send Bud Jones and Nathan to go help somebody else build one. Do you see that? It makes sense that we adopt Grand Park. If we're going to do that here, it makes sense that we adopt Grand Park if we send anybody to Africa to help somebody with their park. Both and. It makes sense. Acts 1.8. <clears throat> Ministry is bottom line. Missions is bottom line. It's both and, here and there, for his namesake among all peoples. I hope this is bringing clarity to you. I hope that as we redefine maybe missions for you and we redefine ministry, you can see that ministry comes from the church. Where there is no church, there is no Bible ministry. It's good deeds with no eternal purpose and no Jesus to be lifted up and no namesake there. It's just ministry. It's good deeds with no namesake, with no church. Do you see it? I hope that brings clarity for you and for us. We see Paul <coughs> writing churches, writing letters. And where did he write them? He wrote them to churches. This is how you do ministry. This is how you do marriage. This is how you lead a church. This is how you do elder. This is how you do deacon. Why? For his namesake among all peoples. This is how you send somebody. This is how you take care of them when they come back. It's all in there. James writes a book to who? The church. This is how you live. This is how you breathe. This is how you exist to be spent to him. He wrote those to the church. If there is no church, there's nobody to receive that instruction to be, have ministry. Do you see it? There are cities. We have families right now living in the Middle East who it's probably mid-afternoon there today. And they may, may have even received some rain today. I think the first time in about four months that they've gotten rain. And they're there existing to be spent for his namesake among all peoples. And their little group, their little church, is existing to minister to a place where anybody else that receives ministry from anywhere else, if it's the government or if it's somebody being nice or another religion that's trying to do good deeds, it's not eternal and it's not Christ-exalting and it doesn't point back to Jesus. It's, that church is the only hope for that neighborhood. Not the government, not nice people, not anti-crime programs. 
the church that gives them the hope of Christ. That's the hope for where we send people is that they establish the church. There is no one there to receive James' letter, James' book, if there's not a church there to know how to do ministry. So we plant a church so there'll be people who can be encouraged and led and taught what James tells us the church is to be. And then it affects, by the work of the Spirit, it affects the community and it changes and Jesus is established and people are ministered to eternally. Ministry is not second fiddle. I want you to hear that. Ministry is not second fiddle. It doesn't play second fiddle to missions. Don't hear me say that. I don't believe that. Missions does not play second fiddle to missions. The prophet Amos had strong words for people who gathered as the church. In chapter 5, verse 21, he says, you, you, you sing and you gather and you give and you sacrifice, and yet there's injustice all around you. And he says, I'd rather you hush. Stop gathering. Stop giving. Stop singing. It's noise. God says it's noise. Please stop. Let justice roll like a river. Paul had strong words for faith that had no fruit. James has very strong words for a faith and a church that gathers and meets and grows and is taught. And yet there's injustice all around. Chapter 1 of James. Real, true religion feeds orphans and takes, cares, takes care of widows. And what he's meaning there, <clears throat> that's not the model that everybody should start an orphanage or everybody should have a widow to take care of. The meaning of that passage there is that you lean towards the oppressed. Where there's injustice, you lean towards it and you move and you work for his namesake among all peoples. So ministry doesn't play second fiddle, but it flows from the mission. The mission is to start the church where it's weak and non-existent so that ministry will flow and justice will roll like a river in cities for his name's sake among all peoples. If we cease to multiply the church among all peoples, then we've lost sight of our mission. Mission. If the ministry of our church doesn't flow from our mission for his name's sake among all peoples, both and, this might happen. I'm not saying it has I'm just warning us. This might happen. If we lose sight of the bottom line, his name's sake among all peoples, both here and there, and that missions is church planting and ministry flows from it, if we don't believe that, this could happen. We could take a ministry trip or a mission trip, and they will become a pious vacation. If it's not for his name's sake among all peoples, and it's just a ministry trip that's not connected to a greater mission of establishing the kingdom, then a ministry trip can real quickly turn into a pious vacation, a vacation that makes you feel good about yourself because you did a few good deeds. Do you see that? That's the danger. And then missions will turn into a project. If missions is not to establish his church and you say, I'm going on mission and I'm going on a trip, and it's not with this greater view and greater scope of establishing Jesus where he isn't, Establishing his church, his body where it's not. If that's not the greater scope, we, you can treat missions like it's a project. Well, we're going to do missions. What we did was we went and did fill in the blank. With no scope of the church being established, that's a project. That's a pious project. And 
Missions and ministry are not pious vacations and projects because the vacation, the trip is not about you. It's not about us. It's for his namesake. Among all peoples, that trip is not for you. It's not for Cross Point. It's for him. And if we don't have that why in line and in place, the next thing you know is we're trying to outmissions the church down the road. If it's about Cross Point, we'll try and outmissions everybody. You got anybody in North Africa? You got anybody in the Middle East? We do. You got anybody in a hard place? Well, we do. And there's nothing wrong with that being our ambition. But there is something wrong if we don't have the scope that this is for his namesake. It's not about us. We don't take pious vacations. We go for his namesake and whatever happens, happens for his namesake. Is it dangerous? Yes, for his namesake. Is it uncomfortable? Yes, for his namesake among all peoples. What are you doing when you're there? We're, we're praying and begging God to start a church where, he, where there is no church. And it's hard and it's slow and it's difficult and sometimes it's dangerous and uncomfortable. But we do it. Why? Because it's our mission. And we want the com- commission and to be completed. And we want to say with Paul, fulfilled. Complete in that area, in that nation, among those people. And there are peoples today where there is no church There is no church. And so that's our mission. We've proved at Crosspoint to be really agile and mobile around here. And I pray that and hope that because of the bottom line and because church planning is missions, that we will be more globally mobile that we will be a people who will prove to be as globally mobile as we are around here. For the most part, we understand that this building isn't a church. That, that those nursery rooms and that office isn't the church, that the people are the church. We know that. We seem to understand that. And I hope that we will be as globally mobile. Not, listen, not so that we can check off the spiritual resume and feel better about ourselves. I hope that we will be globally mobile to start churches where there is no church. Down the road, maybe. On the other side of the planet, probably. Most likely. Why? For his namesake, and that's it. Among all peoples. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would make us uh, mobile and that we would uh, understand that safety is a lie, comfort's a lie, and that you would not allow us to be deceived by where we've been hurt or where we've been confused or scared. I pray that you will have sown a seed of understanding and clarity for us this morning, despite a feeble speaker and coughing and hacking, and that none of our former feelings about what missions is and what ministry is will confuse us or cause us not to trust you and search your word 
God, make us a church. Make us a church. Grow us into a church that is on mission to start the church, that we're passionate about it, that we spend our money towards it, and our lives and our time towards establishing your kingdom in cities and communities and countries where there is no church. And we know that that's not going to happen unless your spirit labors with us. And we're dependent upon you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.